Hey everybody, welcome to episode 67 of the Go Get Outside podcast, the penultimate episode of season three. I am your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Today we will be speaking with Matt Davies of Mossy Earth. He is an Englishman living in Portugal who once taught English. He is also the co-founder of Mossy Earth, a social enterprise whose mission is to bring wilderness to Europe via reforestation and rewilding. They are a great way for individuals to offset their carbon emissions or just help improve the environment. Or if you just like the idea of helping people plant trees, Mossy Earth is a place you should check out. Matt and I talk briefly in this episode about ultra running and a little bit about climbing, but this is primarily an episode about the work that Mossy Earth does. So this is very much an environmental episode. So if you want to learn about rewilding and carbon offsets and various other ways to help the environment, then this is the episode for you. Forewarning, this is a Skype recorded episode and it is always difficult to maintain the usual audio quality through those. So there is some degradation in quality of the audio in this episode. So be prepared for that. But it is definitely intelligible and you will absolutely be able to get lots of valuable information. And with that, let's go learn about Mossy Earth. I'm from England, but have been living in Portugal for about 10 years now. I really enjoy the outdoors. I've been a keen surfer and trail runner for as long as I can remember. I also volunteer on a permaculture farm. That's something I've been really interested in in the last two years. I also enjoy hiking, climbing, and, and other things in the outdoors. And about a year ago, I, uh, I co-founded Mossy Earth, which is uh, my, my latest adventure. Tell us how you ended up in Portugal. What took you out of England? Surfing, really. <laughs> Much to the displeasure of my parents. I've been living in other areas of Europe and I enjoyed living in places with sunshine and with good waves and with a bit of um, different culture. Obviously England has culture, but just something different. I was much younger and I wanted to, to travel, etc. I'd been living in France and a job opportunity as a teacher came up in Portugal. So I took that not knowing anything about Portugal. In fact, I remember being at the airport in London and um, thinking, oh yeah, I must, I must learn some Portuguese. <laughs> I bought a, uh, a Spanish dictionary thinking they spoke Spanish here. Yeah, much to the disgruntled taxi driver when I arrived that, yeah, they don't speak Spanish, they speak Portuguese. That's funny. So you made two drastic errors. You you (laughs) waited until the airport to actually think about learning the language, (laughs) and then you chose the wrong language. That was an auspicious start to your move to Portugal, (laughs) I'm sure. I remember thinking, ah, the job, it's near Lisbon. I had a look online what the waves were like. Saw a nice looking beach and thought, yeah, I'll go there. So no preparation, all last minute. Yeah, here I am 10 years later. So clearly you liked it, and hopefully you've learned a little Portuguese since then. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I speak Portuguese uh, well now. I've got a, a lovely Portuguese uh, partner. She's uh, called Joanna. So yeah, I speak Portuguese. I'm almost starting to feel Portuguese now. And uh, yeah, really only returned to the UK to see mum and dad at Christmas. So 
I spend all my time here, really. So you were saying that you did a lot of surfing. I've looked at your website and seen that you do some ultra running. You've done a lot of different types of outdoor activities. Is that something your family got you into, or is that something you discovered yourself as a kid? Growing up, we, we were always outdoors. I, I grew up by the beach, so we were always at the beach or always going on family walks. We've always had dogs, so I've always been outside, so I've always got that. I get very claustrophobic being indoors. But neither mum or dad are, are sports people. I'm not sure how I got into trail running nor, nor surfing, but been doing them a long time and still, yeah, I'm still like a kid. I get super excited before a run or before a surf. So I enjoy those, those most. But as I say, I enjoy hiking also, a bit of climbing sometimes. And yeah, more recently, the, the permaculture has been a, a big part of what I do here in Portugal. The word across the rest of the world about England climbing is that it's really chossy rock that falls to pieces, is hard to protect, and you just have to accept that you better be good enough to climb it because you definitely don't want to fall on it. Is that true? Has that been your experience? My, my personal experience in England, I, unfortunately, I didn't climb when I lived in England. So, so you waited until you moved somewhere with good <laughs> rock, I see. Uh, yeah, and easier <laughs> climbing. <laughs> no, an ex-girlfriend of mine who was a, a very good climber, she told me the same story. She said that, yeah, the guys in England are crazy. Like, it, it's graded differently as well, I understand, in England. There's a sort of a danger level as well as a difficulty level. So I want to ask you a little bit about the ultra running because I haven't talked to a lot of ultra runners tell us a little bit about that exactly what separates ultra running from any other um, type of running probably the distances and the times <laughs> they take funnily right. enough the, the the inspiration for my trail running um was born out of i just love being in nature um, i did lots of road running for many years i did marathons and half marathons i thought that you know if you ran a marathon that was the, the most a human body could could do <laughs> same ex-girlfriend actually that was the climber she worked for the north face and Suddenly she introduced me to all these, these crazy guys that run these long distances and you can do it in the mountains. Started getting interested in that. We've got some wonderful mountains here in, well not mountains, they're sort of small small mountains here in Portugal. So yeah, I started doing that and then I've, I've done yeah many ultra runs since then in uh, here in Portugal, in Madeira, the one in um, Mont Blanc. Yeah, I just enjoy being in the mountains being in forests five kilometers on road i'd get bored whereas i can just run and run and run when i'm uh, somewhere beautiful especially if it's somewhere new if it's a new forest or a new mountain range i can just keep going and just yeah taking in all the beauty of the the area yeah i know what you're talking about i'm, I'm not really much of a runner but like running on concrete for short periods of time is terribly tedious or like running on a treadmill but trail running for some reason feels very different and is much more enjoyable yeah yeah than a five kilometer or whatever on concrete through the city. Give us an example of some of these distances you're running through these mountain ranges and, and other environments. So for example, I, I've just started training for um, one that is 170 kilometers. It's going to be in June. It's actually, it's where I grew up actually. We've got some really beautiful hills back where I grew up. I'm using it as an opportunity to go back, see my family and run this um, chain of hills, if you like, that I grew up. Those walks I was talking about with my parents, and it's to run from one end all the way to the other. So I've started my training now. I've got sort of 12, 13 weeks, and I'll build up to that, yeah, over the course of the next few weeks. And so for those listening here in the U.S. who refuse to learn the metric system, that's roughly 100 miles, so quite a distance. And what kind of time will you be looking at when you're running that distance? Um, I'm hoping for sort of 15 to 16 hours. These are they're sort of undulating hills, other races. I've, I've done shorter races that have taken longer because the mountains are much steeper, say in the Alps or the Pyrenees. Um, but this is sort of nice undulating hills, so the average kilometer or mile speed, if you like, will be slightly quicker. 
Um, so that's what I'm sort of aiming for. I have a backpack, you've got to be self-sufficient, always have to have a minimum of a liter of liquid inside, food, things like a rain jacket, safety blanket or um, survival blanket, sorry, whistle, these types of a map as well, uh, these extra sort of security measures that you have to have for these races. But it's quite fun trying to be self-sufficient. There's, there's places you can stop and fill up your bag, etc. But yeah, this idea of being self-sufficient is, is, is all part of it, I think. It's sort of strategy as well. You, you can't run out. You've got to know when to stop, know when to eat, know when to drink. Yeah, so what are some of those challenges that you're running into? You're running for almost an entire day. And mm-hmm. like you said, it's also kind of like ultralight backpacking in that you have to carry everything with you so that you can be self-sufficient it's got to change the way you approach everything and and just the experience yeah. in itself yeah you yeah you, you certainly hit as, as they say in running you hit the wall you certainly see some you know you have some dark times <laughs> i mean every ultra i've run there's one point where i'm like i'm sure we had this conversation before that i was never going to do one of these again <laughs> i never think about the distance i never think about the end goal because it would be too overwhelming other guys might do it differently but to me i break it down into sort of 10 kilometer sections or I, my goal is just to get to the next checkpoint and then from there my next goal is to get to the next checkpoint and in that time you'll have some low moments where your legs are really tired or um, just psychologically but then as well you have these like really uplifting moments one I did in, in Mont Blanc it's sort of the mecca of trail running if you like the support along the way is like <laughs> it's like running with a third leg it's like extra support and so many people come out of yeah out of nowhere and they're cheering you on it gives you this other sort of just sort of wave of energy spectators running along with me for about half a kilometer and saying oh it's wonderful what you're doing blah 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 <laughs> scenery as well that's inspiring if you if you do one somewhere really nice again i've, I've done them where you're it's so long you're running through the night by which stage you're on your own you know the the, the pack has, has dissipated and suddenly you're just alone you've got the stars above you and it's uh, yeah it's like a magical experience it really in a sense kind of is like backpacking as quickly as possible normally you know if you'd hike that sort of distance backpacking you might take a week, two weeks, but instead you've decided, well, let me just see if I can run it in a day and take in a week's worth of backpacking in one day. Yeah, express backpacking. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm a good friend of mine. He's, he's not a sportsman, but he's, a, he's an intellectual, if you like. Yeah, very interesting chap. And he always asks me, he's like, what, what is it you're running from? <laughs> <laughs> you run, you surf, you climb, you do all these various activities. You move to Portugal just because you want to surf more and apparently learn Portuguese eventually. And at some point, you've helped form Mossy Earth, which you mentioned earlier. Tell us a little bit about what exactly Mossy Earth is. It is it's a social enterprise. Our mission is to bring back wilderness to Europe. We do it through a framework of reforestation, but also rewilding, which is quite a new concept. And we offer like individuals and companies the chance to offset their carbon footprint, as well as rebuilding wild native ecosystems. So it's a sort of two-pronged approach to carbon offsetting, but actually those trees planted go towards a common goal of building or rewilding and uh, creating wilderness here in Europe, which we're, we're losing at a quite a fast rate or we've lost in the past. Yeah, the idea of Mossy Earth was, was sort of born out of wanting to do more for nature. I spend a lot of time in nature and in the past couple of years I'd become vegan for environmental reasons. I'd also decided to live a plastic-free life. Um, I also was writing blogs to promote, you know, sort of environmental awareness, but I just felt it wasn't really enough. I felt like I was hitting my head against the brick wall. So I decided I wanted to create something to help nature, to help the environment, which coincidentally fell in line with um, meeting Duarte, who, who, who co-founded Mossy Earth with me. 
Um, a bit like me, he's an outdoorsy guy and he'd been traveling a lot and wanted to offset all this travel that he'd done, was researching online how to carbon offset, etc. and was just a bit disillusioned by the industry. There's a lot of mistrust with people, a lack of transparency. You pay this money, but where does it go? Does it plant trees? Does it, how does it work? What countries is it happening in? And also uh, there's another side to it whereby a lot of carbon offsetting organizations will plant trees, but perhaps they're planting invasive trees and, and planting monoculture forests, which to the untrained eye looks like a nice green forest, but actually it's, you know, it's devoid of any life because it's monoculture. It's like growing a, a corn crop or a, um, you know, any, a wheat crop. So yes, it's carbon offsetting and we're not, you know, we're not taking that, taking that away from those companies that are doing it, but they're buying land cheap, planting monoculture forests, which isn't re doesn't really have an environmental benefit to, to nature. Through his research and his disillusionment with the industry, we wanted to create a product that's transparent. So if a company or an individual buys a tree with Mossy Earth, we send them the GPS coordinates of their tree so they could go visit it. We send them photos of the tree and then regular updates where they listen to me boring them in a video about trees and rewilding, etc. So the idea is that something that's sort of non-tangible becomes tangible through us keeping people updated. And then on the other side, the trees are not only offsetting somebody's carbon footprint, but actually playing like a really important role or pivotal role in rewilding um, and creating habitats for, for wildlife to, to return essentially to, to Europe. So you mentioned two terms that I think most people are familiar with at this point, but there are still some people who don't know what rewilding or carbon offsets are. Do you want to give a quick description of what those two things mean? Yeah, certainly. So to start with carbon offsetting, it's probably people are more, more um, aware with carbon offsetting. So in our day-to-day -day activities, we all create a carbon footprint, you know, driving our car, taking flights, the electricity we use, the, the diet that we, we follow, etc. People that are concerned about the environment, they could reduce that. Uh, there's lots of things we can do to reduce our carbon footprint, but sometimes there's some things we, we can't eliminate. For example, people need to drive to work or they, they need to fly for some reason or, you know, we need to heat, heat our homes, etc. So one way of reducing that carbon footprint and that impact on the planet is you can plant a tree, we, we sort of work on a calculation that one tree over a sort of 40 year period approximately will offset one ton of carbon, you know, a flight of about four or five hours. That was carbon offsetting. It's, you can carbon offset through trees, through um, this grasses, even, even the ocean actually sequests carbon from the atmosphere. There's many ways we can sequest carbon from the atmosphere. And then rewilding, which is probably less familiar, is it's a term, the idea is to bring back native flora and fauna back to an area. And the difference, let's say, um, how I like to think about it is conservation is preserving what's, what's there, you know, what's, what we have at the moment. But rewilding is actually uh, creating a habitat to bring back what used to be there and what should be there. So, for example, uh, I won't name the place in, in the UK, but we've got areas of the UK that are under uh, conservation areas and they're very beautiful areas and they are conserving one type of uh, flora or fauna uh, because that's what everybody's known in the last two generations. But prior to these two generations, there it would have been a thriving forest, richly biodiverse with a range of, uh, of wildlife, flora and fauna in it. Um, but unfortunately, that's been forgotten over two generations. And now perhaps this area is being conserved for one or two types of tree or one or two types of bush or maybe one type of animal. Whereas rewilding is to sort of say, well, let's not conserve what's there now. Let's 
bring back um, what used to be there. Rewilding is also a lot about letting nature uh, take over. When we're planting our trees, we set up an environment for rewilding, but essentially we then take a back step and let nature uh, work itself out. Nature is far more intelligent than we are. And with time, it will reinvent itself, if you like. I really like how you point out the difference between conservation and rewilding, because we really do need both, right? If we've made the drastic impact on our environment, conserving what's left is great, but we're already starting with less than we need. So we've got to replenish that. And so, yes. yeah, I, I like that point, because I think a lot of people want to think of themselves as conservationist, which is great. But unless you're adding to what's there, you're working with less than you need ever. Yeah. The way I came across your website was the the climber Alex Honnold had posted something on Instagram. I, I bet a bunch of people came to you through this, <laughs> didn't they? Our Instagram went, went nuts. I bet it did. And uh, he, he posted something about how the North Face was now doing carbon offsets and how he personally would do carbon offsets through your website, through Mossy Earth. And this was the first time I had heard of an organization that was offering carbon offsets for individuals instead of businesses. And maybe there are others, but I wasn't aware of them before that. So I went and checked it out. And you you were pointing out how you have this transparency. You send GPS coordinates and photographs and all those things. It looked like a really good setup to me. So I decided to go ahead and purchase a few trees as well. And then figured I I may as well talk to you guys because I'd like to hear the story behind why why you want to do this in the first place. What made you think that founding something like Mossy Earth was worth its time because starting a business is a shit ton of work, but starting a business that is less focused on profit and more focused on a cause is especially difficult. So what made you decide, yes, this is what I want to focus my energy on? Rewinding a little bit, I've been a, I've been a teacher for a long time, teaching English here in Portugal, which... I had a lot of fun doing, met some wonderful people into my late 30s and I was asking that question about, you know, what's our purpose here, etc. getting all a bit philosophical. And it came to a point where I was doing a lot of courses as a teacher, different teaching courses. And I was doing very well at the courses, but I was spending a lot of time doing it and it wasn't something I really enjoyed. And I remember one particular course, it was, it was like similar to a master's. I spent two years every hour studying for this, this, this damn thing, which I didn't really want. And I suddenly thought if, if, if I could put that much time into something, any, whatever it is, it, it'll work, you know? And then this sort of coincided with, you know, teaching was coming to an end. I, I really realized that I wanted to do more for the environment. At that stage, I wasn't sure how. Um, but I thought about that course I'd done and thought, wow, if I put that much effort into something related to the environment, it, it has to work. And then that coinciding with, yeah, such a passion for nature and, I, yeah, I'm not a money man, I never have been. For me, it's just, yeah, the impact. If, if we can make a huge impact and inspire others to, yeah, for me, my, I would feel my work is done. Mossy Earth, you know, financially successful. If, if, if that happens, then that's great also. So how did, how did you guys go about getting this started? Because it must involve a large quantity of people. You've got to acquire land or at least get the rights to plant trees on someone else's land. So what did that look like? What did it look like from the idea to actually being able to carry through with that idea? Because it's a big idea. Yeah, when we, we, we started, we were, we were landless. <laughs> Fortunately, we work, uh, so, so now we've got five projects. We've got three here in Portugal, one in Ireland and one in Romania. They're various projects, let's say almost conservation projects or rewilding projects. We've got one here in Portugal, which is really rewilding focused and they're really 
looking to for animals um, and native species to come back to the area. Things like the wolf, the, the lynx, the Iberian lynx, um, rabbits also, funnily enough, rabbits are very scarce in northern Portugal and important for the food chain and the protection of vultures. There's lots of vultures in, in the north of Portugal. For those guys to rewild, um, they wish to rebuild uh, ecosystems. So that's where we come in with the trees. Whereas we have another project in Portugal which is more focused on trees than on in wildlife. We're doing is we are removing these huge areas of invasive, um, what's called Portuguese broom. It's a sort of it's an invasive species. It's bush-like, very dry. Uh, wildfires love it. When it grows somewhere, it chokes chokes the land of life. It sits there very dry in the summer. So once ignited, it sort of wildfire just rips through it. So we're clearing that with controlled fires, working with the fire brigade to remove this invasive species and then plant native oak trees. That's what used to be there in the past. These oak woodlands were sort of chopped um, and then the land was left abandoned and the trees were never replaced. So we're clearing this invasive species, replanting with no native oak trees, sort of five or six different species. And what the project uh, we're trying to do is also showcase to the Portuguese government that you can actually stop the spreading of fire through planting native hardwoods like oaks. I'm not sure if you're aware, but last summer the wildfires here in Portugal were, yeah, were, it, was, it was devastating. I think more than 120 people died. 6% of the country burnt. And by planting yeah, native oak woodlands or native trees, you would stop the spreading of fire because the big problem here in the summer was we've got these huge eucalyptus plantations. Um, the eucalyptus tree on its own is not a problem, but when it's being farmed, if you like, for um, namely actually cheap toilet paper, it's, it's a real fire hazard. It's a monoculture, sort of what I was talking about earlier. Eucalyptus trees will dry the, the land of any water. They, they, they suck up all the water. And in the plantation, they're sort of planted maybe sort of 30 centimeters from one another. So when a fire hits it, they just go like matchsticks. If you have areas of native oak woodland, hardwoods, they're planted sort of up to sort of five, six, seven, maybe eight meters apart. There's a, um, there's a dense forest floor that's moist. It's, it stops this, this spreading of fire, if you like, um, whilst also creating a habitat. But yeah, going back to your original question about sort of land. So we, we're working with currently running projects. We sort of plug in and help those those projects with um, with it, with whatever their objective is, whether it's to animals to be reintroduced or whether it's to showcase the importance of fighting fires with native forests. Then in Romania also we're working there. Um, Romania is very interesting as it's the sort of the last remaining ancient woodlands in Europe. So these are woodlands that have not been planted by man. It's our last remaining ancient woodland. and. Sadly, they're being um, illegally logged by some big organizations I won't name. But yeah, so there are these beautiful woodlands. I've been there myself. I spent a lot of time in Romania. There's areas that are being illegally logged. Unfortunately, there's a lot of corruption in those areas. Um, and we're working on a project here where the idea of sponsoring uh, areas of land to, um, and the money would then go towards uh, policing, if you like, these areas to prevent the loggers from, from getting in. And if, say, somebody sponsored a piece of land, we keep them updated like our trees with uh, GPS coordinates, 360 photos, drone flyovers, and also a, a, a lovely idea, which is sort of a, a walkthrough with an ecologist. So imagine you um, sponsored a 100 meters squared of forest in Romania, an ecologist would walk your 100 meters squared, pointing out, uh, you know, oh, this is, a, this is deer track, or this plant is a medicinal plant, or this is a tea, or this tree, blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, so you get to sort of learn a little bit more about your the area you've sponsored, um, whilst also knowing that you're protecting Europe's last ancient woodlands. So one of the things you've mentioned is how you want to avoid planting monocultures that don't benefit the environment in the long term and also help replenish these native ecosystems. So how did you go about learning the proper ways to do that? Because you haven't mentioned being a botanist, so I imagine <laughs> you didn't step in with that knowledge. So you probably had to find someone who could help you take mossy earth in a more beneficial direction instead of just something that looked beneficial. Yes, there's now four of us. Um, and one of the four is a young lady called Julia. She's our rewilding specialist. She studied rewilding. Um, she's based in Sweden. She's our sort of expertise. But also in each of the projects, we're working alongside ecologists that are on the ground. So if we're up in the north of Portugal, in the Douro Valley, where, we're, where we've got this rewilding project, when I go up there, I'm working with ecologists there to um, you know, suggest, okay, this is the area we're gonna plant, how are we gonna do it? They suggest the types of trees, we source these trees and then help these guys plant them. Um, so we've got guys on the ground that are in the know, and then we've also got Julia, our, our rewilding expert. So there is, of course, anytime you want to do anything that involves the environment, you're going to get misconceptions and you're <laughs> going to get pushbacks from people who, despite the fact that you're working for their best interest, feel like you are not. So do you <laughs> want to take some time to dispel some of those misconceptions that you know maybe some people listening to this are thinking right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you always get cynical people. Some of my friends have asked me the same question. Since setting up Mossy Earth, it's, it's actually opened my eyes to, to realize how many people there are out there that have the same common goal of, of, of helping the environment. And that's not only on the project side, when we're there on the ground with the local ecologists and the volunteers, you realize, wow, there's this, there really is this, this sort of change in consciousness about our environment. But on the other side as well, we've got business clients that wish to, to plant trees with, with mossy earth. And it's, it's not because they have to tick a box. It's not because they have to meet some um, legislation. It's because there's people in that organization that genuinely care. And I would say more of our clients um, I like that and it's really refreshing to see and then when you're when we're, we're talking about how, how we work together or we're setting up a proposal with a, a, a client there's never this I talking of money or price or oh you know can you do it cheaper or actually can we can we charge you a bit more here no it's, it's about yeah what's the, the common goal is is helping the planet and that's really refreshing to see and yeah there's always going to be cynics and there's always going to be people saying you can't do it or it's too late you know the world's going to end but you're going to get that in any type of industry. As long as we can do our best, that's all we can do, isn't it? I mean, I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to, right? A lot of the arguments against these types of things are just straight pessimism. We can't do anything about it. It's too late. And I always say, well, are you comfortable telling your grandkids that you didn't even try? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, are, are, you, are you going to are you going to try or are you just going to give up without even trying? Because if you're just going to give up, well, then we're, we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have children myself, but I've got... You you know, I've got two young nieces and I, yeah for me this this idea of you know they're only young now and, and yeah they've got to have a future that, you know they, they I, I'm sure when they're older they, they'll wish to be in nature and to explore nature and, and get the benefits of being or playing or doing a sport in nature etc so yeah even if it's just preserving it for for the next generation 
It's important. So this show, you know, I'm in the U.S., I'm in California, and a large portion of the listeners of this show are in the U.S., so some of them are probably thinking, this sounds great, but why should I care about trees in Ireland, Portugal, and Romania? So what do you, what do you yeah, have to say um, to those people? Yeah, I completely understand, and, and that was why we've, we've quickly um, branched out from Portugal. A lot of people, like myself, I didn't know where Portugal was or what language they spoke. So, <laughs> so I, I completely uh, empathize with them. I mean, in, in the long term, we, we do wish to, to set up a project in the U.S. or several projects in the U.S. I mean, yeah, if, if, if you're environmentally conscious enough, perhaps where those trees are planted is, is not an issue, but I understand it's, it's to, you know, start local. Even if this is an inspiration for people to look locally, perhaps there is projects in, in America, good projects. Um, since I've been in, involved in Mossy Earth, the amount of projects that have been right under our nose, it's like, oh, wow, this is going on and that's going on. So even if this podcast inspires people to look locally to see other conservation or rewilding projects in the area, um, then, yeah, again, we've, we've, we've made some progress. Yeah, and, and I would just also say that trees elsewhere are still going to help improve the, the environment across the globe. Like, we are all connected <laughs> Just because something yeah. is thousands of miles away doesn't mean it doesn't impact you in some way over yeah. here. We definitely know that pollution and nuclear fallout affect you far, far away from their from their sources. Yeah. So I did notice on the website that Mossy Earth has started to get involved with a bunch of other organizations. What what do those cooperations look like? Like, how are you helping each other out? And what are some of those groups? Yeah, we've got a, a really broad portfolio of, of we've got some sort of management consultancy companies that they've been using their trees as a, a motivational perk for employees uh, you know buying them to for their employees because it's often now that it's actually employees of a business that are in, the ones that are environmentally conscious and they want to feel that they work for a company that cares for the environment we've got sort of um, travel related companies that are perhaps offsetting flights or offsetting people's holidays they're running trips abroad they're, they're offsetting the flight or, or the whole emissions whether it's involved in the holiday we've got uh, yoga retreats that perhaps yogis are celebrating their week uh, their week of yoga and meditation by planting a tree or they actually wish to offset the journey that they they took to get there we've got some athletes as you as you mentioned alex honnold emily harrington also recently uh decided to offset her her travels and also caroline and james uh from the north face they're offsetting every travel they do with the north face so yeah we've got a, a real broad mix i'm just trying to think of some others we've got a few companies that run events um we've got one called beyond the ultimate they they do uh, trail running events they do four really great races actually there's a jungle one a snow one in sweden they're essentially trying to offset the event so the runners the the guys entering the races get the opportunity to to plant a tree when they sign up for the race and that again that could be either to carbon offset their their journey there or perhaps they just want to celebrate this achievement of running you know couple of hundred kilometers uh, by planting a tree and yeah being from a trail running background i know that most trail runners have a real appreciation for nature so they'll like that option when they when they sign up for a race so how long has mossy earth been in existence at this point uh, it's about a year now so about a year so that's it seems like you guys have covered a lot of ground in a single year then so what yes. do you what do you foresee or what are you working towards in the years to come so yeah we've, we've come a long way when we look back at some of our sort of First objectives when we're setting out, you know, we've, we've blitzed them, which has been great. Duart, who I, set, who I co-founded Mossy Earth with, he's a very ambitious young guy, switched on. We've done very well. We've exceeded expectations, which we're really happy about. And we're, we're looking is our next step is that we, we really seek to plant a million trees. That's our sort of 
that's our next goal is to have a million trees planted um, sort of by 2020. How close are you to that goal so far? At the moment, we've planted 12,000 trees. You still got a ways to go, but 12,000 trees is a lot of trees. Yes, yeah. And uh, for us, is, is impact. A million trees would be, if we go more, brilliant. If we don't make it, it's, it's a journey there. But yeah, that's it's a nice sort of tagline. It's a nice idea. I was reading somewhere, you know, if you planted a million trees in, in one area, you'd lower the temperature of that area. It's, it's that much of a, an impact. So let's tell people how they can get involved with this. So let's tell people how to get to the website and what they should do once they go to the website and what some of the options they'll have available to them. Going as an individual, there's, um, there's a really simple option. It's just plant a tree. You know, it's a tree will be planted in one of our projects. And with that, as I said before, they'll receive photos, uh, GPS coordinates, um, and also regular updates from the tree. And that will usually be with video and each video we're trying to come from a different angle, educating people about rewilding or what's happening in that particular season or the project at large, what wildlife has been returning, etc. Um, and to keep people in the loop. And if uh, also, if, if they don't wish to stay in the loop, they can let us know and perhaps they just want the, the photo and the tree. Um, so that would be the simple plant a tree. But then there's other options. Perhaps you wish to buy a tree for a loved one for a Christmas, birthday present. Um, you can also dedicate a tree for a lost loved one. And then there's other packages that are focusing more on the carbon offsetting. So you may wish to carbon offset a flight, a road trip, or some of our clients have actually gone for offsetting their yearly carbon footprint. So this would look at the energy they're using in their house, the energy they're using for their car, for flights, etc. And some people are offsetting for a year and they can do that individually or for couples. Yeah, offset the, the commute to work. And there's a few other, few other projects that I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> I, I want to point out also, when, when they do go to the website, that annual carbon offset is less than you might think it is. I want, I want to say it's like 200 euros or something like that. But, but I think that's a, a valuable thing for people to think about is it doesn't have to be a huge financial impact to help out and kind of offset the carbon you're using up and replace it with things that can help replenish that. Yeah, yeah, you're, 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 you're up to speed on my website on the line. <laughs> 200, 220 uh, euros. I'm not sure what that is in US dollars, but... I would guess about 300-ish, somewhere around there, depending on what the exchange rate is at the time of release of this episode. Yeah, we've got, we've got some wedding gifts here. Also, you can offset an event like a wedding or um, a music event. So yeah, there's a few different options on that. Yeah, I, I was just on it recently, purchasing a few trees for a few different things. And so the Ireland replenishment, the Portugal fire replenishment, and then uh, the Romanian forest, all the things we talked about, I noticed on there. And and I at least sent one tree to each of them. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, I think we're pretty close to wrapping up. So we've talked about, you can go to mossy.earth and you can look into these things if we've piqued your interest. <laughs> They're all welcome to come to Mossy Earth, of course. There's lots going on to, to help the environment. As I say, I'm sure there's lots going on at a local level also. If, if people aren't so sure just yet to be planting trees in Portugal, yeah, so there's a lot of great stuff out there. There's, I really believe there's a, a big change in consciousness. I really believe that this, this decade, if you like, or this, this stage we are in will be remembered as the, the, the green revolution or the, the, the awakening of consciousness. Or, or so, Like we look back at the industrial revolution, I think this will be the green era. There's a lot of young people doing really great things, not only for nature on the land, but also for the sea. Yeah, I think we're in good hands and I think there is a real big shift in our consciousness. For me, the, the, the future is bright. 
despite what some uh, politicians might say. (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, I usually ask people if they have some final thought they want to leave us with, but you may have already just done that. So if you feel like that is your final thought, then just say, yes, that was my final thought. But if you have any other thought you want to leave us with, let me know and you can tell us what that is right now. No, I think, um, no, that is, uh, for me, that would be my (laughs) final thought. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to me over the internet. No, thank you, Jason. It's it's been a pleasure. Yeah, I wish you guys all the luck. Uh, I'd like to see more trees planted, and I'd love to see you guys be able to spread out even outside of Europe. And it doesn't even have to be the U.S. I think it's awesome if you're able to get to any of the other continents along the way. Mm-hmm. Keep in touch with me. Let me know when those do. things happen, and I'll I'll let the audience know. And hopefully, hopefully some people will go to your website and buy some trees. Really appreciate it, Jason. It's, it was a, a pleasure talking. Yeah, thank you very much. I'd like to reinforce Matt's point that conservation is conserving what is left, while rewilding is returning what was and should be there. And I think that is a great reminder for us all that conservation is indeed important. But if we really want to change, we should push to go beyond, and reforestation and rewilding is a great way to do that. On top of all of the programs that they are already offering, Mossy Earth will soon be launching an old growth protection and rewilding project in Romania, so keep a lookout for that. And where would you do that, you may ask? Now is a great time to run to the internet. Go to gogetoutside.com slash podcast, episode 67 with Matt Davies of Mossy Earth. And there you will find numerous photographs of Matt and the team, as well as links to places like mossy.earth, where you can help contribute to their many projects, as well as their Facebook and Instagram accounts. And I do once again want to invite all of you to contact us here at the show and let us know about other organizations similar to Mossy Earth. We would love to be aware of more organizations doing this type of work. And how would you go about contacting us here at the show? Well, first, you can send us an email, go at butcherbirdstudios.com, or if you prefer, give us a call, 818-925-0106. And if you would like to help us spread the message of Mossy Earth, then go to your podcast purveyor of choice, Subscribe to the show, rate, review, and share this episode with people who need to know more about rewilding. This episode of the Go Get Outside podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by me, your host, Jason Milligan, with additional help from Griffin Davis, and as always, brought to you by Butcher Bird Studios. Next time on the show, join us April 16th for the final episode of Season 3. It is time again for another Go Gumbo episode where we will be featuring multiple stories from past guests. So come back April 16th and join us in celebrating the final episode of the season. See you then.